on 80s High. There is some really important prep work that I need you to follow to get ready for this topic. Number one, do not expose this topic to bright light. <laughs> Number two, All right. do not let this topic get wet. Okay. And most importantly, do not feed this topic after midnight. We're going with Gizmo. We're going to learn about the Mogwai. And next week... This is our high school mascot. This is 80s High mascot. I know. The fighting Mogwais. Next week on oh. 80s High for our Christmas special, we are going to talk about the 80s classic movie, Gremlins. So freaking excited. Go, Go Mogwais! Happy holidays, everybody, and welcome back to the holiday special of 80s High, the podcast where we revisit the best pop culture from the 80s. And we're your hosts. I'm Ben. Psst. Hey, Ben. This is Chris. Buddy, I got a joke for you. Oh, a joke? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Tell me. What happens when you feed a mogwai an Ewok after midnight? Oh, my God. Um, wait, you feed an e Like, you make the mogwai eat an Ewok? After midnight, yes. This is super dark. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What do you get? I don't know, but you better have indoor plumbing. Hello! <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that how the Star Wars Christmas holiday special ends? With that joke? And they all, like, laugh and they hug in the credits roll, I think? I would never, ever even attempt to watch that. It's it is. It's... <laughs> hard yeah it's real hard there's have you ever listened to riff tracks have you used riff tracks no i've done a lot of mystery science theater but i've never done yeah, yeah, riff yeah. tracks At riff tracks there's an app there's a website it's like yeah. three bucks an audio clip and you can spin it off and sync it that's a great way to watch the star wars christmas special because they riff it and it makes I think it that's digestible. the only way to watch it yeah. i don't think there's any other earthly way so much so is i feel like now because you are a monster you are a gremlin uh, of this dynamic duo that you will somehow make that one of the topics. I only request that we have to do the Rift Tracks version. Yeah, that's all no, I the have Rift Tracks. They do a really good job. They did okay. a great job. That'd be great. So yeah, happy two days after Christmas. As of this recording. <laughs> As of this recording, no snow. Yeah, this will this will come out in April 2021. <laughs> this will be like spring. Everyone's gonna be like, "What are you guys talking about?" But there was something so perfect that happened. So, you know, we had Christmas with my family over Zoom on Christmas Day. And I told you in a previous episode that my brother is amazing at gifts when we were talking about surprises. Yes, that's right. And he just knows it. So I've been rocking a uh, three-layer, a triple-layer, a reusable fabric mask, the same one, most of 2020. Okay. And it's to celebrate my favorite pop culture. It's an 80s treatment of Jurassic Park logo. Yes. So Fantastic. my brother knows all the pop culture that I love, so I'm going to show you on camera uh, oh what he got me for Christmas. This is exciting. That's what I was thinking. It's the Ghostbusters. Yes. <laughs> yes. As soon as so, you said that, I was like, okay, my money is on the Ghostbusters logo. Fantastic. You know, it's my second favorite IP of all time after Jurassic Park is Ghostbusters. 
And it's going to be very relevant to tonight's episode. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. But also, we just revealed this week we had our cover art finished by graphic designer Alex Goddard. Yes. And you can see behind the jean jacket in the locker, we snuck in the I Ain't Afraid No Ghost uh, logo from uh, Ghostbusters back there. And of course, for all of you, you're going to be saying, hey, this was the episode art since episode one. But just to realize, we've recorded all of these episodes, and this is the first one where we've actually seen the finished product. So we're really excited about it. And of yeah. course, uh. worked in you know a little, a little poster in tribute to Ghostbusters. So super jazzed about that. Yes. So without further ado, let's find out what's for lunch today, and then let's get into today's topic. Attention 80s High, I'm Megan, here to share today's homeroom announcements. Remember to keep in touch over winter break with the 80s High podcast on Instagram and email us at 80shighpodcast at gmail.com, that's 80s, to sign up for the show's mailing list. Today's lunch menu will be meatloaf with whipped potatoes, vegetable medley, hot rolls, milk, and apple cobbler for dessert. Yum! Don't forget to stop by the book fair in the library today. We have a special on the Choose Your Own Adventure series. If you can't make it, you can order copies online at cyoa.com. After school today, the Dungeons & Dragons Club will be starting a new campaign and welcomes any who would like to join this noble quest to roll their new characters. After the football game was rained out last week, the Fighting Mogwais are ready for a rematch this Friday against the Carnivorous Krites. As we all know, those krites can be pretty tricky, so our mogwais will need your support in the stands. Let's give those crafty krites a run for their money. Thank you, and have a tubular day. Go mogwais! Ben, we gotta dig right into this topic. I'm super jazzed about this. Yeah, not like the people in the movie. Maybe we should pay attention to history, and maybe we should actually read it and follow it and learn from it. It could be useful. Follow the rules, everybody. Let's, okay, let's get into that. All right, Gremlins, the movie. And this this falls into my pantheon of pseudo-Christmas movies. You know, movies that are from the 80s that are, but take place in Christmas. So you've got you've got Die Hard 1, you've got Die Hard 2, you've got Batman Returns, you've got Ghostbusters 2, and you got Gremlins. I would argue this is even more of a Christmas movie than any of the other ones. I mean, Gizmo is a Christmas present. So, you know, it is all about It is a gift. And also, like, just it's interwoven more into the story than even, like, a Die Hard, for instance, right? Yeah. Not to mention it was supposed to be released at Christmas, but they decided to release it during the summer so that it might be a summer blockbuster. So it was intended to actually be a Christmas release. Exactly. So as as we always start off history class, do you have any off the top of your head these salient memories of Gremlins? What Gremlins happened in your childhood? Right. So uh, what I remember watching this as a youngster, uh, I remember the scene of the snowplow crashing through the old people's house. Yeah. Um, Mr. Futterman. Mr. Futterman. Forgot what a racist he was, but Mr. Futterman. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I made a tally. We'll we'll get to that, of course. Um, (laughs) I remembered the old lady flying up the stairs in the little chair and flying out, which I only realized in this watching, that's the hag... From the beginning, I, I didn't put two oh, and yeah. two together for reasons we'll get into. Right. And I remember the bar scene where the gremlins are going wild in the bar. And then <laughs> I, I was trying to remember another like flashbulb moment. Gizmo and the vet, of course. Yeah. Oh, I think I did remember all like 
after Stripe jumps in the pool and then like they're all coming down the street and you just see like they come out of the shadows in the background and it's just like this massive army of gremlins. It's a cool shot. That's a great job done. It's well done. I like that shot. For 84, definitely. So those were the big ones that I always remembered about this movie. Oh, yeah. Any others that you had from your early watchings? So rewatching it for this episode... Definitely, there were some triggers that happened. I was like, oh my God, right. Yes. The scene, uh, Stripe's death at the end, where mm. he is like melting in the fountain. That's a great effect. It's so gruesome. Yeah. And it's sort of interesting. We're going to get this later, but you know, it came out very similar to Temple of Doom, same mm-hmm. year. You think of the melting face Nazi thing from right. uh, Ark. <laughs> That's right. Spielberg was on like a melting face kind yeah. of phase. Well, and those two movies are also linked in another way, which I'm sure we'll get to as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get that. It's so good. Oh, yeah. So the melting face, of course, the theme song is just like you hear it and it just brings the movie. It's such a good nut, 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 nut. And I didn't realize it doesn't really come into full effect. You get hints of it until the snowplow scene. That's when you first get the full on song because I was waiting for it. You'd add little layers to it and then it was full on right at the end. I was like, yes. Yes. This is the one I've waiting for. In the cab. Ah! It's Gremlins. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. And the only other thing I've got is is somewhere in this house is actually a gizmo doll. <gasps> I, I had a little stuffed oh gizmo. God. I never had one. I wanted one. I took him to college with me. Oh, my he God. He was like my little childhood thing that I took to college, and he was like always in my dorm room. Oh, like, my God. You know, like by the desk, like Billy's desk. He would yeah. like look at me while I worked on my laptop. That's fantastic. So Gremlins, the idea of Gremlins uh, first came out of World War II with uh, Britain's Royal Air Force. Blaming faulty planes on these these mythological gremlins who were inside hacking away at engines and parts. This was a wonderful detail that I either forgot or didn't realize. I love this. This was actually a thing. Like, it's based off of that. I hadn't realized oh, yeah. it until the old man starts talking about it. And I'm like, wait a second. Right. Futterman has that point in the movie where he talks about, like, oh, they, they got inside and they would mess in World War II. Like, yeah. uh, I was in World War II. Yeah. But then later, uh, Roald Dahl... Were you a Roald Dahl fan as a kid? Did you read James and the Giant Peach, The Twits, The I Witches? read James and the Giant Peach. He did the uh, Chocolate Factory one, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I know the movie better than the book, but I did read the book at some point. Great children's author. Very, very fun. So he wrote a book, The Gremlins, in 1943, based off the World War II little gremlins messing, messing with planes. And then I'm sure if you thought of it, you could picture it. There's a Bugs Bunny cartoon of the World War II era called Falling Hair, where Bugs Bunny battles a gremlin on an airplane in oh, World War II. Oh, interesting. They look nothing like what Spielberg did. They're kind of cute, big round nose, but they do have little pointy ears. Hmm. But the story, did you know, when you looked at some stuff, the story of gremlins itself, this movie, did you find where that came from? So apparently uh, Chris Columbus had a like a rat problem in his apartment in, I think, Manhattan, and that was... And he could hear them scurrying around at night. And that was kind of the the genesis of the idea. Exactly. He was quoted as saying, what sounded like a platoon of mice would come out (laughs) and to hear them skittering around in the blackness was really creepy. It's a terrifying thought that there's just some creatures like scurrying about and something living in your house that you don't want there. It's terrifying. So it's, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Would you like the honor for those who have not seen this movie? Do you want to explain the movie Gremlins? Oh, okay. Let's see if I can do a a good synopsis of this. So, this traveling salesman is in Chinatown. Randy Peltzer. Yeah. And he's talking to this shop owner. 
He's trying to sell him on this gadget. Here's the cooing, finds the Mogwai, wants to buy it. Mogwai's not for sale. The grandson's like, I'll cut a deal with you. This is his gift to his son, Billy, which he brings home. But there's three rules that we all know about that they must follow. The care instructions has been alluded to that no which one we, seems yeah, to Yeah, we can get into later. Two graphs about. about no one's paying any freaking attention to. Nope. And then chaos ensues because the rules are eventually all broken. And the cute little mogwais turn into terrifying gremlins and wreak havoc on... As it was introduced by the radio announcer, Kingston Falls, USA. No state. There's no state. He literally said, (laughs) Kingston Falls, USA. I was like, are you for real? And when you say chaos, it's not like messing with engines. It's murder. It's blowing things up. Oh, my God. It's it's gunfire. Gunfire. So many guns. They're horrifying. Uh, Flashing. (laughs) There's a flasher gremlin. Oh, yeah, right. That exposes itself. And... We might get into this, but the first script was actually way darker. Yeah, yeah, that's coming up real soon, I promise. I read some of that stuff and I was like, holy smokes, this would have been not the comedy horror. This would have just been straight up horror. So as Chris mentioned, like, it's a Christmas movie. It was a Christmas gift. So it's all set in the snowy, small town America. And yes, the gremlins run rampage. And like a lot of properties in the 80s, it's it's about the teenage hero, Billy, who with um, a love interest played by Phoebe Cates... I'm going to call him the protagonist. I'm actually not going to call call that guy the hero. Right, right. There are several heroes in this. Might not be Billy. And they're they're working to destroy the growing population of gremlins in this town. They eventually do by blowing up the movie theater where most of them are. And then the showdown with the final evil gremlin. All but uh, one. Stripe. 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 In in the uh, department store. Yep. That's the plot. As Chris mentioned... This is a Warner Brothers movie, and it was going to be released for Christmas, but they looked at the summer season and they thought Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Ghostbusters were different enough to not be competition. So they sped up production and they kicked it out on June 8th, 1984. This goes back to my mask, the exact same release date of Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. What I think is really interesting, so about Temple of Doom and Gremlins, you know why those two movies are so important at the same time in 84? One of our uh, listeners... Class of 80s High, took the quiz and made a final note about this, that this movie, Gremlins and Temple of Doom, were uh, both kind of responsible for the PG-13 rating by the Movie Picture Association of America. At Spielberg's behest, because he did not want an R rating for either of these movies, so he actually was like, hey, why don't we have something in between PG and R? Only someone like Steven Spielberg can be like, get on that. And rewatching it, it's definitely not PG. Oh, heavens but I can no. see R. R. It's towing the line with some of the violence that goes on. Yeah. Uh, but I see how it, it is kind of a gray space in the middle. Absolutely. But as you referenced, the script that finally came out—that is the final movie—is just a soft, cuddly version oh of what was the original script. Oh my god. What do you think is the most horrifying, violent thing that happened in the original script? So I only, the references I saw, I only saw two things. So there might be more. The most horrifying of the two is his mother gets decapitated and her head is thrown down the stairs. Oh yes. my God. 
Yes. I love how they flipped that scene where instead, and we can talk about this more in chemistry, she's a hero. I want to get to that. I, I, yeah. I want to say- We'll do that whole scene. She's we'll the freaking hero. I was like, oh my God. And then the second thing was that the gremlins eat the dog, Barney. Yeah, they eat Barney. They eat Barney. Oh my God. So they were not messing around in that first yeah. script. If those things stayed in, I bet we wouldn't have PG-13 at all. And I bet that would have been an R movie. Oh, heavens yes. I mean, I yeah. thought it was sort of- Awful enough when the dog is like hanging by the string lights at that oh, one point. I was like, oh my God. He's whimpering out in the cold. Poor storm. little Barney. So the rest of this stuff I'm going to run through real fast. The IMDb trivia page for this movie is, is one of the richest I've seen for movies in a while. There are so many gems. There's so many hidden things like purposeful Easter eggs. Oh yeah. There's just interesting coincidences. There's a lot. I just want to pull out the ones that I, that I thought were like really poignant. Um, okay. but I recommend any reader, like go sit on IMDb, just scroll through the trivia. And it's not like, Oh, do you know this movie was filmed in the summer, but it took place in the winter. Like it's actually really good stuff. So this is going to be interesting because I did not look that up, but I made a lot of notes about references and such. So I'm curious to see what we both found. So, okay. 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 Lay it on me. So Magwai, Magwai, what is it? It's a Magwai. Do you have the origin of that word? Do you've got that going on? I do. So this was also a question for a class of 80s high. Magwai, I put out there as like, it's a Cantonese word, actually. And what does it mean? And so we threw it out to the class and uh, I was kind of proud of this. So these were my options. Gift, shapeshifter, fuzzy, devil, twin. Ooh. Oh, hey, good, good. That's I good. thought those were great ones. And I'm going to yeah. tell you right now. Two thirds of the respondents said shapeshifter. I felt so, I I was so pleased with myself. That was a self backpack. 16.7% said uh, gift. And then uh, the other 16.7% said devil, which is the actual word. So apparently translation, Cantonese, Mogwai means devil. Yeah. Good. Very fitting. Very fitting. So, you know, we've got two versions of these. So when, when the Mogwai start out, they're fuzzy, they're adorable, they're cute. They're these little like foot tall, big tall ears, little scrunched nose, big eyes. Yep. They're adorable. And then when they transform into gremlins after breaking a rule, they grow about twice in size. They get slimmer. They're like these greasy, drippy, slimy reptilian. Lizard-like. Yeah, reptilian. Lizard-like yep. creatures. Yep. Um, so the cute ones, Gizmo, is based off the dog breed of a Japanese chin. Mm. And the actual design of his face, you know, he's got that white patch around his eye. Mm-hmm. That's the pattern of Spielberg's dog at the time. Oh, okay. Now, Gizmo's voice. Can you do a Gizmo voice? How do you do with Gizmo? Bye, Oh, my God. I didn't even know. That was really good. <laughs> and, and then he does a little, he does a little. Like that was pretty good. Song. Nicely done. We well, nailed it. Move aside, Michael Winslow. <laughs> no. Move. Well, and, okay. And 13 year old girl. So Michael Winslow was, yes. yes, so of Police Academy fame was yes. in it. But the voice of Gizmo, maybe I read this wrong. Oh, no, you're Howie, right. Howie Mandel. Sorry, you are right. It was Howie Mandel was Gizmo. Michael Winslow voiced the Gremlins. Yes, exactly. That's so, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So yeah. Howie Mandel, after washing his hands 14 times, he came in, <laughs> did the audio for Gizmo. He was ahead of all of us for 2020. The dude understands sanitation. But the humming song was done by a 13-year-old girl. Oh, really? Yeah, so that part actually was, yeah, that was not Howie. He did not do the little, which I thought it sounded like a theremin. Do you know those? Oh, yeah. 
I thought it was a theremin doing that. I actually made a note to myself, but it was, uh, no, it was uh, a little girl who did it. So good. Uh, so Rand Peltzer is not only an amazing inventor, but he's also- He's really- a prolific inventor. I yeah, will let call me, him let amazing. Me, We're going to get to that. Let me correct my adjectives. Um, <laughs> prolific, yes. Amazing. That actor was actually a really, really successful songwriter. Oh. And he wrote most of the songs for the band Three Dog Night, and his biggest hit was writing Joy to the World. What? Joy to the World. Are you kidding? Oh, the boys and girls. That's yeah, amazing. So he so is an inventor cool. of a sort in real life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just not an engineer of any kind. Right. The really obvious, and if you know, if you're a fan of the movie, you already know this. And I was lucky, so I have a DVD copy. Mm. It felt a little 80s because I had to try it on three appliances before I got the DVD to work. Okay. Uh, but it has director's commentary on it. So I got to like get a lot of more nice. tidbits while I watched. But of course, like after you finish the Chinatown shot, the, it opens on the town square, which is on the Universal Studios lot. And it's the exact same town square of Back to the Future. Yep. And it's real obvious. I mean, when you look, it is it's the, the movie back to the theater is what tipped me off. When Billy's yeah. running to work and he goes by that movie theater, I was like, that's Back to the Future. Oh, and yeah. I thought they reused it, but this movie actually uh, preceded Back to the Future by about a year. Oh, so, so this Back came to the first. Future stole it. Yeah. I also just want to make two comments about Back to the Future, which is great, because you talked about Easter eggs. First off, Kate asked him to sign a petition about a landmark, like giving something landmark status, which was just like Save the Clock Tower. Oh, I missed that. That's great. And then I think it was Old Hag Deagle. She said something Deagle. about your loser dad and you're a loser son too. And it's just like uh, Strickland saying, you're a slacker, oh. McFly, just like your father. And I was like, oh, the parallels. Yeah, those That's were like a good catch. three references I noticed that were, I don't know if they were intentional or not, but just very similar. I loved it. I missed that. That's a really good catch. I like that. Yeah. I've got some production background here. So I love this. This is a little new segment on 80s High that we like to call sassy spielberg oh (laughs) so so you know they're they're shooting gremlins and they're sending these dailies off to the studio off to warner brothers what do you guys think are you feeling okay with it you know it's raw nothing's been really edited yet right and um one of the studio notes to director joe dante and steven spielberg back from the studio after seeing the first cut of the film is they said there are too many gremlins in it and so Spielberg writes back to Warner Brothers and says, well, you know what? We could cut out all the gremlins and just call the movie People. <laughs> wow. And that Sassafras. was sass- Sassy Spielberg. <laughs> Sassafras Spielberg. I love it. He's like, imagine that. Too many gremlins in a movie called Gremlins. Called Gremlins. Were they being a bunch of like budget mongers though? Were they being like a bunch of penny pinchers Probably. and everything? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Because there were an insane amount of puppets. On and that was a huge set. chunk of the budget, I think, was all the puppets. So I guess I could see it. But nevertheless, I love it. I just love it. He's like, he had no Fs to give. That's great. And you know, it was pretty expensive to have the puppets. And it wasn't always about the puppets. Before they went down the puppet route, mm-hmm. <laughs> they, yeah, they this is put great. a test monkey in a costume with makeup. He had a gremlin head on and other, like, um, attachments. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently there's footage of this somewhere, and I couldn't find it. My God, I want to see this. But they put the monkeys in the suit, and they just go bonkers. And, like, just freak out and panic, and they're tearing apart the room, throwing feces, screaming, and they're like, all right, we got to call Warner Brothers. The monkey thing is not going to work out. Although, oddly enough... 
They actually kind of turned into gremlins because they were so uncomfortable in these suits. Yeah. Okay, I've got I've got a couple little nuggets here before we start to break this guy down. Yeah. So again, gremlins. So this, this is just an Easter egg. So near the beginning, as Randy Peltzer, Rand Peltzer is, is kind of going through Chinatown, there's a wrecked car with the hood up and there's smoke pouring out of it. And the car is indeed an AMC gremlin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The gremlin logo is actually very similar to the gremlins in the movie. So it wow. certainly predates the movie, but that's a nice little Easter egg in, right in the beginning. No, that's wonderful. Of course, Spielberg is known to appear in a lot of his movies, sometimes on purpose, sometimes on accident with a bad camera angle. What is that? He's in the reflection of a window. Oh, yeah. In Jaws, there's a shot where like they're coming oh. out of a, a courthouse or something and the glass door shuts and you see Spielberg and like two cameramen in oh. the reflection <laughs> of the door. Uh, and they didn't edit it out. It's great. Whoops. <laughs> So he is in Gremlins. Spielberg is in Gremlins. Do you know where he is? On purpose or accidentally? On purpose. Hmm. I did not recognize or notice him, so I, I, I have no idea. So about halfway through the movie, Peltzer's at the inventor's convention, mm-hmm. and he's in the telephone booth talking to his wife, trying to downplay how bad of an inventor he is, that everything's way better. Right. While a time machine works behind him, right. and the guy vanishes. And right as that scene starts, a like, kind of like a go-kart, a metallic go-kart, and Spielberg's the driver of the go-kart. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, the only two other things I've got are, um, first, in the original version of the script, where Mrs. Peltzer's head bounces down the stairs and the dog oh gets God. eaten, there's no stripe. So, again, in, in the plot, the worst gremlin to come out is Stripe. He's got a white mohawk. He's the leader of the gremlins. He's the most fierce. They all listen to him. And in the original draft, when one of the rules gets broken, Gizmo just transforms into Stripe. But Spielberg wanted this sort of like, in the later draft, he wanted this tension of the good Mogwai versus the evil Mogwai. He wanted right. that the Gizmo trying to work with Billy to defeat Stripe. And he just thought Gizmo was so cute. He didn't want to have half a movie without Gizmo. That was a, a perfect call. I don't think the movie would have been the same if Gizmo just disappears a third of the way through. Exactly. No, he's great. He provides a lot of levity to it. And he's fun. Brilliant call. Brilliant call. The only other thing I've got, so this is a Spielberg piece, so it's, it is a masterpiece. At the end of the day, it is a very well done movie. Yeah. However, and I'm not going to read them all off, but go into IMDb and go to Goofs. There are an incredible amount of mistakes in this movie. Oh, really? Okay. If you watch stuff on slow-mo, there are so many scenes where you see the puppeteers for the gremlins. Oh. <laughs> They're like forearms and their heads are in shots. Wow. There's I didn't pick up of- on any of them. I don't think I noticed one. Right, right. This is like in the weeds, like, you know, your 40th watching of Gremlins, you pick this stuff up. There's a ton of continuity mistakes. Hmm. There are a lot of scenes where weather is incorrect, like there's snow on the bottom of trees. The one thing I did notice when you first see the Christmas tree lot where they're selling the trees, like there's snow everywhere, but all the Christmas trees are completely bare. Like they don't have a drop of snow on them. I did notice that. I was like, hmm. And the snow looked pretty bad. Maybe in low def, it wasn't as bad, but like... Watching it on Amazon and, you know, a higher definition, I was like, ooh. I mean, it's not terrible, but you could kind of tell, like, that ain't snow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They, but it's they, 1984. They blew, it's 1984. They blew the whole budget on monkeys and puppets. They did not have a lot for the, what did they use, um, soap flakes or whatever? They yeah, didn't have a lot the of soap <laughs> Those are all the treats I have of, like, the production and the history of this movie. Do you have any other uh, historic uh, little nuggets you want to drop in here? The only other like kind of reference I had was that the idea that Gremlins was also an influence for the Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, 
which is the there's something on the wing with your boo, William Shatner. So, oh, like, you mean that just random guy <laughs> who hosts Rescue 911 that nobody knows? Random guy on Rescue 911. <laughs> That thing is considered, it was a gremlin, which I just, I thought it was just oh. like a monster, but it's technically a gremlin and it's attacking an airplane. So I thought that was That's like a, a, another cool An little, aggressively oh. different looking gremlin in Twilight Zone. It's like a Bigfoot. I mean, yeah, that's that's what I remember it as. I'm like, it's Bigfoot. So yeah, it's definitely not your like tiny little creature or, you know, oh little God. man kind of an attacker. This episode more than any, being that when Billy was confused about his mogwai, he went to his science teacher. There's no more appropriate class for <laughs> us to go to to break this down than the chemistry class. That is a fantastic segue. <laughs> Let's get to it. So, Ben, I have to say, you mentioned the, the chemistry teacher. My main note about him, so many brains. There are brains laying all around that guy's <laughs> classroom. There are brains everywhere. On the counter next to him, like, working... They're on shelves. They're on his desk. Why do you need that many brains? It was kind of unnerving. I have so many questions in here for you. I hope you are ready. I need a lot of things cleared up. There's so much to get through. Where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? I don't know where to begin. If you have an idea, let's let's just get on it. So, oh my God. I, okay, let's, let's talk about Rand, Rand Peltzer. He starts it off. I, this starts off as a noir detective. Yeah. Movie. He's walking through this like dark street in Chinatown with these narrow corridors. There's people everywhere. A sailor walks by. I'm like, is this the twenties? Is this post World War II? (laughs) When is this movie set? What is happening? So this guy, he's he's gonna try to sell the bathroom buddy, which Oh, I'm so glad you brought up the bathroom. Oh my god, the bathroom buddy, man. Was this a great thing in the eighties? Because I looked at that thing and I was like, what a hunk of junk. The bathroom buddy is his main thing he's trying to hawk all over this town. And it's basically combine a a Swiss, it's the Swiss army knife of everything in your toiletry kit. Yes. It's the length of a toothbrush and it's maybe three inches wide and you press a button and all these little different gadgets come out for the bathroom. Razor, mirror. Yes. And I think one of the missed parts of the script is the gremlins never use the bathroom buddy to kill anybody. Uh, (laughs) It's a missed opportunity in the plot. At the end of the day, I feel like he's an honest salesman. He's he's working the streets. He's trying. He kind of knows he sucks at what he does. Like his wife kind of teases him about the coffee maker at one point. And he's like, why? You can't, we can't eat this sludge. We can't drink this. And there's just something charming uh, in the Peltzer household where his inventions, his failed inventions are all over the house. But Billy and his wife have just sort of learned to live with them. They really try to use them, too. Like, even when he's not there. Like, they're not just trying to use them when dad's home. The mom tries to answer the phone with the remote control thing. Right, right. And she finally goes and picks it up. And he can tell. He's like, you didn't use the remote? And she's like, yeah, I I was just by the phone or whatever. So it's like they give it an honest try, even though they know it's nonsense, right? Like the egg cracker and the juicer. Which I have to say, all of his inventions squirt liquid everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> the, the bathroom buddy shoots toothpaste all over. The juicer gets a lot of juice out of one orange. And the coffee maker, like everything just sprays liquid everywhere. It's <laughs> a good point. It's, it's, they're very liquidy. But, you know, it's, it's fun effects on screen. But the movie is really good at foreshadowing. So it introduces things all the time that are, like, are going to come up later to combat the or work with the gremlin. So, like, he runs past the theater right in the beginning. And that's the big showdown with the gremlin horde when they yep. go to watch cartoons. Yep. 
you know, he comes in the house and the sword falls off the wall. Yep. As we'll talk later, one of the heroes uses that sword very much. Randall Peltzer's juicer in the kitchen sucks, and the hero uses that juicer later on against the gremlins. The other thing that was really interesting, the neighbor kid. Pete Fountain. At the beginning, when he's working at the tree lot, he's in a tree outfit. Like, he's dressed like a tree. And the gremlin is inside the tree and attacks the mom. It's absolutely foreshadowing. I totally get it. It's great. Oh my God. I have so many questions for you. I just don't know where to start. One last bit for Mr. Rand, the inventor. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I appreciate his enthusiasm. He is prolific. Maybe he should try to do one invention well rather than 30 inventions badly. Oh my I God. feel like if he just channeled himself, he might be able to make a living and his son doesn't have to work like 50 jobs just to keep this family afloat. <laughs> but yeah, the, the he's an endearing character nonetheless. What was that? He's, to the gas station attendant, he sells the smokeless ashtray. And as he's walking out, the, it's just pouring smoke out of it. And everyone's oh coughing. Like, he's just terrible. And the great button at the end is when the old guy comes back. He's like, oh, yeah, someone at a gas station tried to sell me one of these. Right, It's right. so great. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of this we can't get into before we talk about the rules. Okay, let's, yeah. Do you want to go over the rules of if you're going to own a Mogwai? So these are the rules gifted by the shop owner. No, the kid. The kid tells Rand Peltzer when he buys Gizmo in Because the, the grandfather does not want, the old guy, the grandfather, does not want to sell right. this thing. Not for sale. Right? He's like, nope, not for sale. It's his grandson who's kind of like, uh, I'll broker the deal. And by the way, he offers to pay $200, which probably as a kid I thought was a lot of money. But in retrospect, like, there are dog breeds that cost so much more than that. So I'm, I'm, I'm running a little thing right now on inflation tool... Dot com. Oh, okay, great. $200 in 1984 is $508 in 2020. You can spend thousands on a dog. That's true. So he's given this uh, this Mogwai and a pretty sweet old chest. I'm like, did the chest come with or did he have yeah. to pay extra for it? Because that's like a nice antique looking, you know, little, little crate or whatever. But okay. Yeah, absolutely. So the three rules, Ben. Uh, yeah, so the three rules in order are um, no bright lights. He hates bright light and sunlight will kill him. Kill. So you always have to keep him, you know, in a kind of a dark area. No bright light. Number two is you can't get him wet. What's really interesting is so the kid is like, no sunlight, it'll kill him. The kid drops the last two rules, which are extremely important, but doesn't explain the repercussions. Yeah, no qualifiers. No, no sort of consequences, right. right? So he's like, don't get him wet. And then there's like, I, I wish there was just this awkward silence where Rand Peltzer's waiting for why not. And then he just doesn't answer, but he just never explains. So don't get them wet. And never feed them after midnight. No explanation. Right. Do you have any thoughts about those three rules? <sighs> I mean, <laughs> do you remember when there was all this talk about weapons of mass destruction? Yeah. The three weapons of mass destruction are chemical, biological, and nuclear. Okay. This is sort of a, a similar category. You have two, like, bad rules, and then you have one atrocious, absolute nightmare repercussions. <laughs> Lumping these all together is a little terrifying because one of these things is not like the other. And I just feel like these rules are crazy. And only on this rewatch did I kind of realize something about this evolutionary loophole that I want to talk about. Because it reminded me of the movie Alien, not just because they come out of alien cocoons. Oh, yeah. But also there is a, a life cycle to aliens. 
You can fast track the life cycle of a gremlin, which is a little terrifying, and it obviously happens in the movie. I'm so intrigued by this. So that's kind of scary. You can skip the Mogwai stage, which is a nightmare. That's a great catch. I never really realized that. That's huge. You uh, you have a Mogwai? So cute. You get them wet, you just have more Mogwais. Yeah. More of a nuisance, more of a liability, but there's just uh, more cutesy, cuddly ones. But you got to make sure none of those little monsters eat after midnight or get wet because then they multiply and then they eat. Then after they eat, turn into gremlins. And then you can fast track more gremlins by just getting those gremlins wet. So you can totally cut the Mogwai stage, which if you think about it, is extremely terrifying. The other thing I really picked up on about these rules is midnight. Yeah. This is definitely one of those movie rules where you just have to roll with it. Because if you really try to pull it apart, you're going to just sap all the fun out of this thing. What about daylight savings time? Like, does their anatomy know that time changed? Like, it's just, it's funny. I love it. Right. As my wife said, it's always midnight somewhere. Exactly. She said, you should just put the rule like after dark. Don't feed them after dark where they are. Mm. You're okay. But midnight is such a weird number. But it's there 88 miles an hour. Why 88 miles an hour? Who cares? It's just a thing that everyone knows. It's movie magic and it's great. With the wet rule, there's so many opportunities for sequels. How do we have two Gremlins and seven Tremors movies? Can you imagine like Gremlins in India during monsoon season? What that movie? You would have had World War Z, but Gremlins. Also, how were they walking through snowy streets and not just multiplying? Yeah. There's snow everywhere. They should have been just like rapidly multiplying the entire movie. Yes. Again, you kind of have to just take it for what it is because, you know, some of the things you're like, if you really try to pick it apart, they don't hold any water, so to speak. And you said movie magic. One of the three rules was invented specifically to try and shoot the movie was the no bright lights. What I found is director Joe Dante had not done a lot of puppetry work. And, you know, puppetry can be a little rough around the edges. Yeah. So he's like, hey, if every time we have to shoot the puppets, it has to be in low light. Yeah. We can hide some sort of the rough stitching and makeuping with right. the puppets. And so that's where the bright lights rule came from. That's great. I love that. I thought that was super groovy. So I want to talk about the Peltzers as pet owners. That's what I want to get into. <sighs> okay. When can you remember the first time you were given responsibility for a pet? We didn't have a lot of pets growing up, so I just want to preface that. Yeah. I want to say the first time was probably, well, I was in fourth or fifth grade, and I'm going to throw you an interesting curveball here. The pet was a chicken, so... What? (laughs) Your first pet was a chicken? Okay, well, a rooster, technically. How rural Ohio did you grow up in? All over the place. This was in a, a rural area, and we had uh, we had chickens, and we had two roosters, and one rooster was mine, and one was my brother's. Uh, so Pete was actually the name of my rooster. Pete the rooster. And then the other one was Duke. There's not a lot of responsibility to a chicken. They sort of do their own things. But uh, okay. what's your beef with these folks? There's no one more irresponsible for taking care of pets than the Peltzer household. They are terrible. All of them terrible you know first of all father peltzer just drops the mic he's like here are the three rules and then he takes no more responsibility at all for the mogwai whatsoever he goes off to his convention and also who hosts a convention over christmas that's kind of a jerk rule it's a holiday so why is he leaving the house so billy's way to take care of gizmo is to just put him in front of the tv and give him his comic books yeah 
Which, you know, at the end of the movie, when the owner comes back, he goes like, you, you, let him you watch taught TV? him, you let him watch TV? <laughs> so it's this magical creature. And Billy's like, here, let's just rot your tiny brain in my attic all alone. Even before that, he takes his dog to work and just shoves it under the counter. There's a lot to talk about at the bank, for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. So he gets it wet twice. So his bu- his friend comes into his room, knocks over his paintbrush water, spills it on Gizmo, like yeah. six balls pop out. Yeah. You watch that, and Gizmo's on his stomach, screaming in pain, yeah. crying. It hurts to reproduce for Gizmo. Yeah. And then Billy takes him to a scientist, his science teacher, and he's like, hey, watch this. And he drops water on Gizmo's back again. Yeah. He knows that hurts. Yeah. But he says, screw it. Watch me torture my pet. Well, even before that, he just keeps bringing Gizmo into bright light. And that poor thing has to keep screaming, bright light, bright light. He's turning lights on. He's just, he's constantly flashing that poor little thing with bright light. He has no Fs to give. Rand Pelcher just drops the rules. And the mom's like, here's my Polaroid with a flash. Let's take some family photo. Well, she did do that before the rules, technically. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But still, he was like, he kind of saw her going for the camera, and he did not stop her until after she did it. So then the whole movie happens. We've got Gizmo, Stripe is dead, and the mom's like, oh, Gizmo looks hungry. I'll go make him some chicken noodle soup. You know what the main ingredient in chicken soup is? I'm going to say water. Water! Has she not been paying attention? What is she doing? Oh my gosh. They're not responsible. They're very, um, what's the word? Lackadaisical, permissive. They're not rulesy folks, that's for darn sure. I'm so glad you say lackadaisical, because that's a great segue into my other question about this movie. No one, and I mean no one, seems amazed at the existence of Gizmo. Oh, the worst is Pete Fontaine. Yeah. That kid is over there, splashes water all over him, five, six, whatever of those little, like, furballs jump off. That kid just goes and reads a comment. He's like, oh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, whatever. He is so unimpressed. Exactly. I'm like, this thing talks. It's sentient. It's smarter than any other creature besides humans. That kid is not impressed. That's how Gizmo learns the word neat, because that's how much he understands. He goes, oh, yeah, it's neat. And Gizmo goes, neat. But so flippant, too. He's like, yeah, it's neat. And then he's just like back to a comic book. And Rand Peltzer in, in the antique store in the beginning, he's not like, oh, my God, you have a singing, talking creature who I'm interacting with that there's no other species or evidence on the planet. This is incredible. He goes, I'll give you a hundred bucks for it. It's cool. I got to have it. Yeah. People should be losing their damn minds at the existence of Gizmo. No, this is a great point. And I I do want to do a quick pause. We keep talking about Pete Fontaine and I just want to throw out there. Yeah. This is a famous actor, which I had forgotten he was even in this movie. And so I asked our class of 80s high, what famous young actor played Billy's friend who accidentally gets Gizmo wet? Now, Ben, did you remember who was in this movie? I didn't remember he was in it, but when I heard his voice rewatching it, I was like, oh my God, he's the kid. Yeah. So two thirds of our respondents were correct in guessing Corey Feldman. Yeah. 16.7% thought it was Sean Astin. Oh. Another 167 thought it was Ricky Schroeder. Nobody took the bait for Fred Savage or Ethan Hawke. So the majority still kind of held two-thirds uh, Corey Feldman. That's good. He was all over the 80s, man. And this was a younger Corey. This is younger than Stand By Me, younger than him even in the, was it, Friday the 13th part? Yes, four? right. Yeah, anyway. So moving on, what I forgot in rewatching this movie is it's a great script. 
there are a lot of really good one-liners, I think. There are a lot of zingers. There are just a lot of lines that are, they're great. It's good. So I'm going to give you just a few, and it's going to segue into something I know you want to talk about. Okay. So first of all, you, as you mentioned earlier, Rockin' Ricky, uh, the radio DJ for the town. Yes. It's just great, because he just pipes in, you know, when people are in cars or in the police station, you hear him, because everybody listens to Rockin' Ricky. And it's really fun how he moves the plot along, where you're getting his interpretation of the mayhem going down right. in the city. So he's got a lot of great lines. Also, it's just a general cultural thing I want to talk to you about. That's a big actor, the guy who plays his coworker at the bank, who's kind of a jerk. Judge Reinhold. Yes. Uh, famously a Beverly Hills cop, which also the sheriff deputy uh, is Mike Ehrmantraut from Breaking Bad, also was in Beverly Hills Cop. He usually plays what? a bad guy. Yes. He's the deputy. I was like, so this is a mini Beverly Hills Cop, not even reunion, pre-union, because that movie comes out later in 1984. So, Oh, my God. Crazy. But Judge Reinhold has, like, no point in this movie. He's just basically like, you don't make any money. I'm a VP. You all suck. Okay, bye. And he never comes back. Right. And that line stuck with me where he sits down with Billy about, you know, after the working at the rough day at the bank and he's like, oh man, rough day. Yeah. Hey, Billy, what are you doing with your life? I'm a junior vice president at 23. Yeah. I almost punched through my TV because I was like, who's a vice president at 20? You just got out of college at 23. Who's a junior vice president anywhere at 23? And I, I was uh, a little Judge mad. Reinhold <laughs> Judge, Judge Reinhold is. Judge Reinhold is. But the section I want to get to that you really brought up, this is this like line here that just blew my mind, uh, is at the bank. And it's, who's, <sighs> who's the Grinch? What's her name? Deagle. Mrs. Deagle. She is Cruella DeVille meets Ebenezer Scrooge. Like, if you smash those two monsters together, you get Ruby Deagle. She's disgusting. She makes me so angry. The worst. She's a hag. So she comes into the bank with the, the head of a snowman, and she butts in front of everybody in line, waiting. And uh, she claims it's an imported Bavarian snowman, and that Barney, the dog, got loose and knocked it over and broke it. Yeah. And Billy offers to pay for it. And in front of everybody in the bank, she threatens to kill Barney in a variety of ways. Yeah, not just kill him. No, and she goes, I don't want your money. I want the beast himself. And then she yeah. goes... I want a slow death. I'll put him in the spin dryer on high heat. And instead of someone next to her going, you're a monster. That's messed up. Yeah. I'm going to report you. The guy next to her turns to her and just nuns and goes, that'll do it all right. That'll do it all right. Yeah. What? I was like, who's this old guy who's basically saying, yep, that'll kill a dog. Yeah, was, <laughs> who is this guy? Not like, that's a bit much, Miss Deagle. He went along with it. It's horrific. It's oh my so God. messed up. What a hag. As a quick tangent, Billy's mom is watching in the kitchen at one point, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, which of course you remember, uh, George Bailey is a banker and so is Billy Peltzer. So yep. I just like the little connection there is cool. And in that scene, he runs, he says, Merry Christmas movie theater. He runs by the movie theater oh, too. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Which is, you see Billy run by the movie theater. Yep, it's good. So I want to get into a scene I'm really excited to talk about. I've got three scenes I really want to break down. So here's one of the three. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. The gremlins have hatched. Yes. And Mrs. Peltzer, Lynn Peltzer, goes up into the attic where Billy's room is, finds all the crack cases. And she hears the record player starts to spin downstairs. Do you hear what I hear? It is such a great musical cue. It made me stop and appreciate the acting because she has no lines 
And she just sits at the top of the stairs and it's like a silent shot for like 15 seconds. And just what the curiosity and the fear and the confusion over her face is some legit super good acting. It's really good scene. Ben, does mom scream and run out the door? Does she cower in a closet? Does she freeze with fear? Lynn Peltzer goes, what would Sigourney Weaver do in this scenario? Oh my God. I called her Ginsu MacGyver. That is her name. She finds the biggest knife, which by the way, we first see her. This is how badass this woman is. We first are introduced to her. She's watching television, chopping onions and not looking down. (laughs) And she has chopped like five onions worth of onion. And she's not even looking down. And she's just chop, 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 chop. Her fingers are right there. That's how baller this woman is. She's watching TV. It's amazing. So before you break this down, remember, this scene started with her being murdered. So getting her head cut off and thrown down the stairs. Yes. And the writers were like, okay, they don't like that. What could we do? So what do they do? What does Lynn Peltzer become in this scenario? Sigourney Weaver is actually the best way to put it. She's like, I'm going to single-handedly... In a matter of seconds, kill three gremlins. Three of the five. Well, she kills them all except Stripe, I think, right? Well, technically, Billy knocks the fourth one into the fire. Because that's the one that's in the tree and it's choking her with garland. And there's the one at the school, right? He's given the science teacher one. Oh, I guess that is right. Yeah, okay. Okay, okay, yeah. So she kills three, at least. Of the ones in the house, I think there's five. She kills three of them. Billy knocks up the other one. Stripe gets away. Right, so she puts one in the juicer. That's like, the I think, the, one of the first ones. Again, more spraying liquid. <laughs> Gremlin yes. guts go everywhere. She explodes one in a microwave. First, she sprays it in the face with like a bug spray. <laughs> right, right, right. So right. she blasts it in the face. Oh, no, 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 no. She stabs one. Oh, right, right. So she stabs one. She runs up to the second one and just freaking stabs it like go a boom. boss. Third one comes out, bug spray in the face. And then she's like, oh, no. In the microwave explodes it oh my god (laughs) and what is her reward for doing this um billy pushes her into a doctor's house and she's never seen until the end of the movie oh my god i didn't even realize that like you just took sigourney weaver out of play of everyone she's the most competent yeah she's a bigger hero than dad than gizmo than billy than kate she is the most competent and they sideline her Yeah, she is your frontline warrior, and you just took her out of play. Like, don't lose her. You put her in a penalty box. I'm like, she's your best person. Why did you do that to mom? And this is the foreshadowing, right? Like, Corey Feldman was in the tree, so there's a gremlin in the tree, and she fights the tree. The sword pulls off the wall and cuts the gremlin. So all this foreshadowing comes into play. Yeah. She's amazing. But you know who I want to talk about who is really amazing? Okay. I want to talk about the gremlins. Yeah. So the gremlins, within three hours... Of being born. They, at least by my count, speak four languages. Okay. So they speak like gibberish gremlin, whatever, like, like they just speak gremlin. They're Cantonese, right? The word comes from Cantonese. He's Chinese. So they, they, I'm just assuming maybe they're born with it. I don't know. So this is interesting. I, I just want to throw this in here. And this could be separate from Cantonese, but this is at the end when the old man comes back and he's talking to Gizmo. Right. It says that he's speaking Mogwai. Oh, okay. And so I'm like, wait, is that a different language or did they mess it up and they're speaking Cantonese? And I don't know. I have no idea because I don't speak Cantonese. But let's assume they're separate languages just for the sake of. Well, in the end there, when he's talking, when the old man is talking again with Gizmo, he's going, hola. And he goes, hola. 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 
And then the the gremlins also say commonly whenever they interact with Gizmo, they go Gizmo caca. So they, I think they speak Spanish, and they just generally speak English. Like once in a while, they like grumble Billy, yeah, uh, Gizmo. So within a few hours, they know at least four languages. What? Very advanced. And they can uh, drive vehicles. They can hold their beer. <laughs> I want to get to the bar scene. Which is exactly a question I've got for you. One of my favorite scenes, but go ahead. I've got a question you've never been asked. Oh, okay. And so I'm I'm excited to ask it for you. Chris, how strong is a gremlin? Hmm. According to this movie, they're strong for their size. These things seem pretty sturdy for little, you know, what, two and a half foot tall creatures? I can't figure it out. You know, so like one gremlin takes down the science teacher by himself. Bites his hand, kills the science teacher. We need to talk about the science teacher, by the way, but go ahead. For sure. You've got gremlins driving cars, like you said. They're working all sorts of stuff all over town. But then, like, you've got them facing off against Corey Feldman, and the one's, like, hanging from some Christmas lights, but he can't get off of it. And Corey Feldman just cuts the Christmas lights, and he falls off the house. There are moments where the gremlins don't seem to be very strong. Like, they can get picked up or kicked or pushed around. And there's other times where they can take down a human by themselves. I can't figure out how strong the gremlins are. They are as strong as the plot requires. That is what, they're moving at the speed of plot. Here's the thing I really respect about the gremlins that I really, really love, is that gremlins love their work. They love what they do. You know, there's a lot of monster movies out there that are scary, and the monster is drooling and frothing, and it's creeping up, and it's vicious, and it's hungry. Like, you have a sense that Jason Voorhees gets no delight in what he does. He's just a machine. He's just a machine. They're like the Freddy Krueger. Freddy was, like, sassy, and, you know, like, he had his little one-liners, and he took some pleasure in it. And these little guys, they have fun with it. Yeah, I'll I'll give him my best shot. In every scene that there's a gremlin doing anything, there's always that... That was really good. Well done. (laughs) They love love what they do. And I think one of the best laughs in it is the demise of Mrs. Deagle. I feel like she only exists in the excess that she is so that when she does die, you are so happy. Feels so good. The world is better off with his hag being out of commission. She makes you, by comparison, makes you want to hug Mr. Potter and It's a Wonderful Life. He's a charmer. Compared to her, she's disgusting. Like I said, Cruella DeVille meets Ebenezer Scrooge, and then you just ratchet up. And in this sense, I would argue that the gremlins are kind of heroes in this moment in the movie. At least an anti-hero. I'll say. <laughs> how do they kill Mrs. Deagle? How do they do it? This is how the gremlins get her. First off, they're out there caroling. And you talked about lines that you loved. She calls the Christmas carolers, before she realizes they're gremlins, screechy-voiced little glue sniffers. That's what she <laughs> calls them. Of course, she opens the door, and she sees their gremlins. Like, yeah, I can't remember what song they're singing, but they got their little scratchy. No, they don't have a real song. They're like, la, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they're not even singing a song. Like, yeah, yeah so yeah, they're yeah. just out there. And then, of course, she flips out. And then another gremlin has gotten into her house and messes with the little, like, electric chair that she uses to go up the stairs. Yeah. And so they turn it basically into a hot rod, and she goes flying up. It reaches the top. She is ejected from the seat through a window and flies across the street and lands. And she's dead. So dead, like, you don't need this shot. Like, seeing her shot out of that window at that speed, at that height, you know she's dead. But the camera goes to her, dead on the ground, still in the chair. Yeah. 
It's not like blood or anything like that, but you just know, like you said, she doesn't make it. So I only have a little bit left I want to I want to talk about in chemistry, which is the bar scene, and then I want to finish talking a little bit about Phoebe Cates, because she is an 80s icon. But before yes. we get to Phoebe and the bar, do you have anything else you want to cover? You want to questions, comments, concerns about Gremlins? We haven't talked about Mr. Futterman, and we haven't talked about the science teacher yet. Oh yeah, yeah, let's go through those two. So Mr. Futterman, crotchety old racist neighbor, right? When we meet him, he's basically talking about damn foreign cars because Billy has a Volkswagen Beetle that won't start. And Mr. Futterman's next door and he comes out and in short order makes about four or five gripes about foreign cars. Right, right. And then he talks about gremlins, which he said are hidden by foreigners. Right. And then he talks about his foreign TV and should get a Zenith. I counted at least nine foreign gripes. Well, because Zenith was a popular American-made brand at the time. And then one other interesting thing I had about Mr. Futterman is, so Billy has that interaction with him. Car won't start and he has to go to work. So he's, that's where you see him running through town. You see all the like establishing shots and everything. He gets to work and he goes inside. And then later, before the old hag, Miss Deacle comes in, there's a mom with her two starving children. Oh and she God. basically stops Mrs. Deagle and is like, I think she's asking for like more time for... To like pay rent, I think. To pay rent or something. And she's and the old hag's like, no. Um, Mr. Futterman's in the background standing near the entrance of the bank. I didn't even see him there. Watching this scene take place. And I'm like, did he follow Billy to work? <laughs> and you have to wonder if there was like a, a scene that maybe got cut, right? Right. Uh, but he's just standing out there watching this whole interaction. And it's basically that. And then, so they have this terrible scene. The mom is distraught. And then after they go inside, the this kid's like, mommy, I'm hungry. And she's like, oh, I know. It's so sad. Well, I think she says, I am too. Uh, yeah, maybe that's what she says, actually. Yeah. I yeah. like picturing that there's a cut scene where Mr. Fudman follows Billy all the way to the work, just bitching about foreign cars. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, by the way, Billy, did I tell you? That mailbox over there, forward mailbox. And you're just like, Mr. Futterman, I'm trying to go to work. Yeah. And he's such a tragedy later. Like, he's a war vet. And then you learn later that he lost his job, that he's unemployed. There's a lot in this movie about economic depression. Well, and we'll get to it. But he's the last one to leave the bar. He's drunk all by himself and he's trying to stay. And Phoebe Cates kicks him out and then has to take his keys, basically, so he doesn't drunk drive his tractor home. Yeah. He's kind of a tragedy in this movie. Obviously, yeah, he, he's, he's kind of set up to be that man of an older generation, but also has a lot of demons or gremlins of his own, gremlins. if you will. Ah. Yeah. And then there's the science teacher. I just want to talk about him really quick. Yeah, yeah. So first off, we meet the science teacher. Roy Hansen. Mr. Hansen. They bring the gremlin, as you say. He's Or uh, Billy's like, oh, yeah, this is really painful. Let me show you. And then it multiplies. And so the science teacher is interested and like keeps it as a specimen. And then the next time we see him, is the science teacher at school at night doing evil experiments? Yeah, what the hell is he doing? This is a high school. This is not a lab at some university or even just like some sort of corporate research lab. The dude's at high school. And here's my question. Did Billy, go back to your comment about him being a a trash pet owner. Did Billy even tell Guy the rules? I don't know that he did. No. So I want the spinoff backstory of Teacher Hanson. Yeah. And that he was just like this Mensa bound. He was going to win a Nobel Peace Prize for like genetics and bra- like brain neuroscience, obviously, with all the brains. Yeah. Brain research. And he did something wrong. He was like embezzling the money or faking his results. And so he like ended up in this small town teaching science class. 
And this Mogwai is his chance to get back to his Peace Prize and work again. So he's working late hours to make it happen. He's like the Walter White. If I can make another Breaking Bad reference to Mike Ehrmanshaw. Yes. He's like the Walter White. He's the science teacher at this high school who's beneath his station. <laughs> and his ticket out is not blue meth. But in this case, it's, you know, I'm going to crack the code on this little gizmo. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then... Right before school lets out, like he's showing that film strip and then and then the um, gremlin starts to hatch and like the box moves and it's all crazy. And he's like flipping out and then the bell rings and he's like, all right, see everybody. And then he starts hitting up children for Christmas presents. Oh, right. He's yeah, that's trolling the kids as they leave. He's like, oh, by the way, if you want to get me a gift, I was like, these are children in an economically depressed town. We've already established that. There's oh, yeah. poor people all over twisting in the streets. You know, it's interesting, though, thinking of other 80s Christmas movies. So uh, A Christmas Story, you know, there's a thing where they're all they're all bringing Christmas gifts to their teacher at one point. Yeah. Ralphie puts the fruit basket for the English teacher. Was that a thing? Was that expected? I think it kind of used to be a thing. I don't know if it wow. still is. It might still be, like, at certain times of year. But um, I found this science teacher to be a little dubious. I was not... Oh, yeah. I wanted him to be, the like, the hero that knew the science. And he seemed a little questionable, I just want to say. What are you doing? And the last thing is we see him dead under the his desk. I don't know how he dies, but there is a hypodermic needle in his butt. He's literally right. been shot in the butt. What was that? It means there's some chemical in this high school lab which that would kill if injected you. in the bloodstream will kill you. And he just has it in his high school lab with all yeah. of these brains. I just yeah. I have to mention one more time there were so many brains laying around. Uh, so so class on Thursday oh we'll be making um, volcanoes with vinegar and baking soda. On Friday we'll be experimenting with fentanyl. Yeah. So just everybody like you know make sure to read up on it. Anyone want to try some strychnine? I just got it in this handy little vial. <laughs> So speaking of characters, I really want to end on talking about Phoebe Cates. Oh, yes. And I feel like we could do an entire episode just talking about what goes down at the bar. And her backstory. Those are the two pieces that for this movie, I'm like... That's what I've got, but I want to end on the backstory. Of course. Yes. Let's talk about the bar scene because... Let's talk about the bar. This is so great. The gremlins have been running amok. They have multiplied. Stripe has jumped in the YMCA swimming pool. So there are hundreds of gremlins... They've been murdering people. They've been doing terrible stuff. And that's all we know is that they cause chaos and kill. But then we learn sometimes the gremlins <laughs> just want to kick back and relax and let loose a little bit at the local bar. So tell me, like, what goes down in this bar? First off, my favorite part of this entire scene is amidst all this mayhem, Kate is still trying to tend bar. She's trying to do her job. She's pouring beer. She's trying to light cigarettes. She didn't run out. She didn't try to attack them. She was trying to serve them. Again, the women in this movie are killing it. Well, so great. That, that intros my first big question about this is we know we've been introduced to gremlins as murderers and monsters. Yeah. yeah. Why do they choose not to kill Phoebe Cates? Maybe it is because she's being so dadgone helpful. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> so, okay. They're playing poker. They're um, shooting each other with guns. They're acting out scenes one of them has like puppets in its hands and it's like trying to be like a puppeteer one of them is flash dancing there's sweatbands all over the body again all sorts of drinking all sorts of smoking well and there's a little easter egg here they are they are playing the star wars arcade game is the okay, arcade game the great. bar has so they're playing video games ben did you know what music was playing on the jukebox I took note of it, of what it sounded like, but I can't remember off the top of my head the song title and the band. 
Uh, they're playing Peter Gabriel. Are they? Peter Gabriel is one of the songs, I think when we first come into the bar scene, it's a song called Out Out, which is very frenetic. And again, we're having all of these ties unbeknownst to us in this show. Peter freaking Gabriel is playing on the jukebox. Is our podcast going to become the six degrees of Peter Gabriel? There's a connective tissue running through all of these, and we're not planning any of this. I thought that was awesome. And then there's the flasher. Uh, one of them has a trench coat on, and it flashes Kate. Phoebe Kate's, yeah. There might be some more, but this is just like fun chaos. This is where you get the like, like you said, the fun part of them. They've gone and done their murder and mayhem, and now they just want to, like, unwind. Yeah, it's really fun to kind of see non-murder gremlin culture. Like, so there's a murdery side to them that is really bad, but there's also, like, like later they go to the movie theater, they all want to see a cartoon together. But they're in the bar, and they're, yes, there's a little bit of violence, but hey, you go to a bar any normal time, and there's a wide bell curve of what's going on in that bar. There's some boring stuff, yeah. there's some people drunk having a good time, there might be a bar fight. And the gremlins, like, their culture is all over the place of what's going on in here. They don't ascribe to one type of gremlin. Some are into video games. Some are doing shots. Some are playing poker. They're just kind of a fun, diverse little crowd of gremlins. Yeah, it's fantastic. I appreciate that she was trying to do her job. And then she's finally like, you know what? I don't get paid enough for this. And she finally is like, I'm done. Right. And then one of them is dressed like a burglar, pulls a gun on her. She puts one's on the fan. She turns it on high and it goes spinning around and flying all over the place. She finally gets the crap out of there because she's like, okay, this is just not going to happen. She's a hero in that scene because she's facing hundreds of gremlins, no problem. Keeping her cool. Kate is one of the people we learn in the movie does not feel the spirit of Christmas. She's not feeling it. And it comes in this completely random, sobering moment about three-fourths of the movie. Uh, you know, Billy's trying to flirt a little bit because he likes Kate. Uh, and they're talking about Christmas and why he loves Christmas. And she's like, I don't celebrate Christmas. And he's like, what, are you Hindu? And it later comes out why she doesn't celebrate Christmas in a very oh dramatically shot, dramatically scored. It feels like a completely different movie. Yes. Why doesn't Kate celebrate Christmas? She found out Santa Claus didn't exist in the worst way possible. Because her dad goes missing. And they don't know where dad is. And he's missing for like five or six days until she eventually smells something in the chimney. Oh and they God. find out her dad tried to dress like Santa Claus to surprise the family. And this, I'm sorry, ding dong, thinks he's going to slide down the chimney as Santa with all sorts of gifts. And he's all dolled up, gets stuck in the chimney after he breaks his neck and dies in a chimney. And that's how she learns there is no Santa Claus. So messed up. What the crap? It's almost a long, unbroken shot of her face telling the story. Yes. And the music is so sad and it is dark. It brings the movie to a screeching halt. Oh my God, to what tell a showstopper. Dark, dark story. And apparently in, in test audiences, they couldn't tell if it was a joke or if it was supposed to be serious. They couldn't know if they were supposed to laugh or be horrified. And still, it feels completely out of place in the movie. It feels really uncomfortable. I don't understand why this is in the movie. This did not need to be in there. Just like Judge Reinhold didn't need to be in there. Not that he didn't do a great job with his one <laughs> scene. But it was just like, why is this here? But yeah, that was tonally just an odd... <sighs> this almost felt like part of the dark part of the first script that just got held over. Yeah, absolutely. This fits with the head rolling and the dog murder right. you know, version of this script. But this one, you're kind of like, what is going on here? 
if PG-13 didn't happen, Gremlins 5 has very sober Billy talking about his decapitated mother at Christmas in the same way. Yeah. I mean, that was, wow. I also mentioned that Billy took several hits at the end of the movie. This is maybe the only reason I might classify him as a minor hero. Because he gets a fast pitch in a kidney. He gets a crossbow bolt in his arm and he's attacked by a chainsaw. The whole like showdown in the department store is great because I love from a writing standpoint, there's a lot of like tools you can pull from in a department store to like make it all variety and fun. Absolutely, right? The showdown's great in the department store. But yeah, Billy like takes some serious death defying hits from Stripe as it all goes down. Yeah. And then, of course, we had the famous scene with Gizmo and the, the Corvette where he jumps and he pulls the blinds. And that's when you get that fantastic melting oh scene. Oh, my God. Of Stripe so just deteriorating. Gruesome. He's dead. And then he comes out of the fountain as a skeleton. And then the skeleton melts. And that that effect was actually even better. The melting skeleton. I tried to find how they shot effect. that. The camera doesn't seem to cut. So you've got a skeleton that then just melts and pulses into the ground. I would love to know how they did that. Yeah, it's great. And then the last thing I did want to talk about, you know, at the very end, everything's finally resolved. Mom says she's going to make chicken soup. (laughs) No one stops her like, hey, mom, there's water. And knowing those dum-dums, it's probably like 1147 when she says that. So by the time (laughs) it's done, it'll be like 1201. They just reset the clock. Yes, of course. So finally, at the very end, you're like, okay, everything's resolved. But no, the old dude catches up to them. Yeah. And he says the most scathing thing in this movie. You've done with the Mogwai what your society has done with all of nature's gifts. Yes! He dropped a truth bomb. This whole movie was like an eco message. It was all about save the whales from the, from the very beginning. And about just how like terrible human nature is. Like people can't help themselves. They can't follow basic rules, right? Like they just can't do these three simple things. Yeah. Which to the top of the show, the Peltzers are terrible pet owners. They're terrible. It's insane. I also thought if only that dude showed up like a day earlier, none of this would have happened. <laughs> but yeah, uh... so I, I think that was it. The only other thing I did want to mention in that store is you have your direct E.T. reference when Billy's walking down the toy aisle. Uh, He walks by and you see an E.T. plush toy. And then behind it is where Stripe comes out. And it's directly that reference to E.T. where he's hiding amongst uh, stuffed animals. It's so flagrant because all the other stuffed animals around him are Bugs Bunnies. And then there's just a random E.T. Like, yeah, that's how stores organize their stuffed animals. Yeah, one E.T. amongst all of these other Warner Brothers. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the, I've covered everything that I really wanted to break down in the movie, but my stomach is grumbling. I just looked at the clock. It is before midnight in my time zone. Do you mind if, uh, if we head off to lunch and have a little snack? As long as we don't drink any water, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> Let's do it. There really is a Kentucky Fried Chicken School. Yep, today we're making the Colonel's original recipe. What have you learned? Fresh chicken makes the best chicken. And that we use 11 herbs and spices. Oh, but that's the Colonel's secret. And special pressure cooking. (laughs) So it's always tender and juicy. Looks like you've learned to make great chicken. Only way to serve our customers right. It's so nice, nice so good about it, so good about Kentucky Fried Chicken. All right, uh, we're in contemporary culture. I feel better. I'm still the fuzzy, adorable me. I've not turned into a reptilian version of me, so the clock was good. I feel all right. 
But of course, this movie was was pretty successful, and it spawned a lot of spinoffs and a lot of things took from Gremlins. So let's get into it. So the movie itself, of course, highly licensed. So you had toys and stuffed animals. You had books and comic books. There were a lot of video games that came out of it. We had a couple of Game Boy games. There was a PS2 game. Even in 2011, there was kind of a game that was about like taking care of Gizmo, like a Tamagotchi. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say Tamagotchi. Wow, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, you had to kind of take care of him. But of course, it spun off the sequel, Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Yes. Which I want to throw out there. It came out in 1990, but it was shot in 1989. Well, we've already mentioned that we're allowed to stray a little bit into yeah. the 70s and 90s. So maybe down the line, we'll pick up The New Batch. Totally. I, I feel like it's inevitable. I think we're going to have to do it. And I highly recommend, related to Gremlins 2... So one of my favorite sketch comedy shows of all time, Key and Peele, in 2015, do the Gremlins 2 Brainstorm sketch. Oh my God, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> oh my God, tonight, go look it up. Oh and it's God. the boardroom where they come up with all the different Gremlins that are going to be in Gremlins 2. Oh my God, I can't wait. It's hilarious. What do you want to bring up that was an influence? There's a couple of movies that are cited as knockoffs of Gremlins. So there's Critters. Yeah. There's Munchies, which I had forgotten yeah. about this one. And apparently there's a movie called Hobgoblins. Uh-huh. Um, so I had that. I thought this was interesting. So Hasbro had the Furby. So it was actually created by Tiger Electronics, and then Hasbro had the rights to Furby. And Warner Brothers sued them because they said Furby toys look too much like Gizmo. And they actually were successful and settled out of court. Really? Which I thought was pretty crazy. So um, we talked about a lawsuit in our uh, about Bandersnatch with Netflix and yes. uh, Chuseco. So again, another theme sort of tying through all of our episodes here. You know, they've been trying to do another version of this. There was a possible third movie. There was a possible reboot. And in 2020, this year, Warner Media announced Gremlins would be revived as an animated series exploring the origins of Gizmo, which I don't know how I feel about that. Thoughts, Ben? Yeah, exactly. So you're talking Gremlins Secret of the Mogwai. It's coming to HBO Max in 2021, and it's animated set in 1920s. Shanghai, which is going to follow the adventures of Gizmo and the old shopkeeper. Along with teenage street thief Ellie, Sam and Gizmo take a perilous journey through the Chinese countryside, encountering, and sometimes battling, colorful monsters and spirits from Chinese folklore. On their quest to return Gizmo to his family and uncover a legendary treasure, they are pursued by a power-hungry industrialist and his growing army of evil gremlins. I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, I don't feel strongly about it. I loved what Gremlins 2 did to the franchise. I don't know if an origin story kids animated is where I like the character and humor of Gremlins to go. He's like Yoda. Like they're turning him into Yoda where he's like some battling warrior master. And it's like, uh. or is this Pokemon? Are they going out here and they're, they're shooting <laughs> Gizmo against all these damn monsters in right? the Chinese countryside? Now, there's some hope. In a 2017 interview with Slash Film, Chris Columbus said he has written a script treatment for Gremlins 3. So we may get both. We still may get a... We a, could get three. The last of the trilogy, okay? He said it's very twisted and dark. He said it's all built around this idea of if all gremlins come from getting Gizmo wet and feeding his Mogwai offspring after midnight, should Gizmo be eliminated? So is Gizmo the only remaining... Is he like Mogwai Prime? Is he the like Mogwai only... Is he the only Mogwai out there? That's kind of what we're suggesting. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I want to back up to your ripoffs. There's a theme in the 80s of young children hiding creatures from their family. Oh my God, so many. 
become caretakers for. Yes. So that's there's Troll. Do you remember the super weird movie Troll, which we've got to watch? No. Okay, we're going to do Troll. Ghoulies. I remember the VHS oh, cassette in the movie theater had like these monsters around a toilet. They like come yeah. out of the toilet. <laughs> that's right. Yep, yep, yep. Mac and Me in 88. That was like an E.T. ripoff, it's right? An e- that was E.T. Like ripoff for man's. sure. Yeah. But like hiding Mac, you've got um, uh, Flight of the Navigator. Flight where that Navigator. kid is like hiding that he has the ship and the pet that he keeps. Yep. My Pet Monster was just the toy in 1986. Little yeah. Monsters, the Fred Savage. Fred Savage, yeah. Um, and even Stranger Things, which is a huge homage to the 80s. Yeah. In the second season, the kids sort of have a pet monster they have. This like That's dog right. monster. That's right. And so all of that came after Gremlins. We talked a lot about that it's puppetry and the practical effects make it so great. And so actually one of the many gizmo puppets is on display at Seattle's Museum of Pop Culture. Oh, nice. uh, In their horror gallery. So you can go see gizmo there, which is great. That's awesome. There is a Scottish post-rock band called Mogwai. Yes. The the guitarist Stuart, I'm going to say this term, Braithwaite. Uh, said it has no significant meaning and we always intended to get a better name but like a lot of things we never got around to it our 80s high mascot is the fighting mogwais <laughs> that's probably the biggest <laughs> cultural tribute the movie's had since it came out i mean obviously this is the yeah the pinnacle of it the the highest honor <laughs> yeah and the last thing that, that i found that showed up is actually did you see uh how do you feel about the lego movies have you liked any of the lego movies i've that never seen them they're pretty funny, and I highly recommend the Lego Batman movie. I've heard it's good. I've heard it's good. I've just never, I, I've never seen it, but yeah, it's very cute. And the Gremlins and Gizmo are are in that. Oh, nice. They're not starring. They're among the pantheon of thousands of pop culture references. Sure. In it. That's all I have for influence. Anything else for influence? So I have two things. One of them was I asked class of eighty size. I said, "Hey, you know, there's the three classic rules of Mogwai care." And so the joke was, if we made another movie and they added a fourth rule, what would your suggestion be? And this is what some of our listeners said. Don't look them straight in the eye. That's good. (laughs) Don't hide weird critters in your attic. This is also very good. That's just a life lesson. Don't let them star in Little Monsters, which you just mentioned. Yes. Never let them make a reboot. (laughs) No. It's like they read our minds. Uh, Don't lend them money. Gizmo keeps saying he'll pay me back. I'll believe it when I see it. That Mogwai owes me money. I just love it that Gizmo's out there and like, of all of his transgressions on the world, it's that he owes someone like 10 bucks. I love that. (laughs) Like he's responsible for destroying uh, Kingston Falls, USA. Right. But never, never compares to him owing someone. Right. But he was short on a dinner tab and he owes someone 10 bucks. I'll get you back. I'll get you back. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one we have here, uh, don't say their name three times in a row. So, oh, a little Beetlejuice kind of a, action. A good Beetlejuice reference. So I was like, That's oh. good. I, this is what I love about our listeners is they're, they're tapped right into, you know, they know what's the up. sort of pulse of this show. That was really good. If I look at the scales of the 80s, on one side, you've got a, a fuzzy, adorable Mogwai. And on the other end, you've got a slimy reptilian gremlin. Yes. I would love to head to our final period, math class, and see how this movie balances out. To math class. Just at a really high level, you personally, how do you feel Gremlins holds up? I loved it. It was a fun watch. I love the balance of the scary, we'll call them horror type elements with the humor. Like you said, it's a Spielberg movie. So quality wise, it holds up, right? Yeah. It's still a well put together movie, despite some of its weird quirks and flaws. The puppets look great. I can't think of a bad actor in this. 
I mean, some people are chewing the scenery, like Mrs. Deagle, right? She's just Deagle. gnawing on all yeah. the scenery, which is great. That's what you want out of her. Is it the best movie out there of the 80s? Certainly not. Is it the brightest gem? No way. But is it a good comedy horror flick? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a certified Christmas movie. Let's just be clear certified about it. Certified Christmas movie. No, I would second everything you said. I love it. I think it's great. I, like I said earlier, I think the script is great. There's a lot of great lines in it. I think it's got a good rhythm to the movie, except yeah. Phoebe Cates bringing the movie to a grinding halt to talk about her dead dad in the chimney. When Billy confronts her about why don't you like Christmas, she says, well, everyone is opening up their presents. Some people are opening up their wrists. Oh my God. Kate! Tonally, like it's an interesting movie because it tries to make some deeper points about society, about human nature, while also being this kind of fun romp of a movie, which... I kind of appreciate it for, but you're right. Tonally, it does kind of seem unbalanced at times. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned puppets again, and you get into this a lot, where, again, this was a time before CG. I mean, CG was just starting in the late 80s, mid to late 80s. But because they relied, I think, completely on practical effects, and with the whole trick of, like, no bright light so you don't see the bad stuff, like it holds up quality-wise really well, I think. Yeah. The stunts and everything and the puppets, they look great. I mean, some of Gizma's facial features are inconsistent from puppet to puppet. Yeah, that's true. That's the one thing I kind of noticed. Like, it almost looks like a different creature at times. Well, and that's because the more television and comic books he consumes, his face starts to rot away as his brain <laughs> is destroyed as the movie goes on. So I did some little research. There, there are two things that maybe don't hold up. Sure. And one, this could be an interesting debate or discussion, one I don't agree with. But one is something I saw that I was like, eh, this doesn't work anymore. Okay. So the first issue that I found online with the movie is uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum argued that the film compares gremlins to African-Americans. In the book Ceramic Uncles and Celluloid Mammies, Patricia Turner writes that gremlins reflect negative African-American stereotypes in their dress and their behavior. They are shown devouring fried chicken with their hands, listening to black music, breakdancing, and wearing sunglasses after dark, and newsboy caps, a style common among African-American males in the 1980s. Hmm. Now, I know I'm hitting you out of left field with this, but hearing that and having just watched the movie fresh, how does that critique land with you? I take the point. I, I didn't see it. If it is a factor, not that this excuses it, I feel like it is a very, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't a template for them creating the creatures, but it could have unconsciously seeped in into the creation, perhaps. I'm not going to argue against it, certainly. I don't think it's blatant or overt, but I could see that, you know, that that's a a perception someone could have for sure. Yeah, this is the one that I've got to admit, I just don't see. If you're going looking for it, I think you can make it exist. But I just don't see. You know, when the gremlins eat fried chicken, the plate of fried chicken, out. there's been nothing established of their culture that I feel that is attributed to any culture. They're just the fuzzy ones that are in the box. Right. There's, they've, they haven't displayed anything yet when they eat the fried chicken. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's sort of reaching. And then in the bars where you establish a lot of the, the gremlins culture, that scene with Phoebe Cates, where a lot of these references come to. And like you said, the scene opens with Peter Gabriel blasting on the jukebox. And I couldn't find in our research for the last episode that Peter Gabriel was regarded as African-American music. I don't think it was. And they listen to all, they sing Christmas carols. There's music all over the place. Yeah. And in that scene, you see gremlins wearing all sorts of garb. And I think they were just trying to, 
they were trying to pull from all sorts of human culture and to just give the the gremlins a lot of different character. Yeah. This specific author, Patricia Turner, might be making something where there isn't something there. I, I don't think there's a strong case for it, but I'm not going to argue it's not there. Like, I, I'm not going to argue it's not an influence. Sure. So the only thing I noticed on my own that I felt didn't hold up. Okay. How old is Corey Feldman in this movie, do you think? 11 or 12. Okay. So then Billy is what? 18? 17? Probably, yeah. I would imagine he's like a senior in high school. So early in the movie, for some reason... So first of all, Billy is friends with this kid. So there's an 18-year-old that's a friend with an 11-year-old. Sure. Because uh, Corey Feldman comes over to their house. And then he brings Corey Feldman up into his attic bedroom alone. <laughs> okay. And then takes his shirt... Billy takes his shirt off and changes while Corey Feldman sits on his bed. And I was like, this scene is not aging well. Like, I, you can't... <sighs> some older teenage dude bringing a little teenage... Little boy, preteen, into his bedroom alone and takes his clothes off. This scene is not cooking well for 2020. I think you're searching for something now. <laughs> You think so? He changed his shirt because it got destroyed by his dad's garbage invention of a juicer, which once again, sprayed liquid everywhere. Sure, for sure. It's a piece of crap. I I think you're sort of searching for something there. I took note of it. I was like, well, that's interesting. But then I was like, well, he's changing his shirt because, again, it got like orange juice all over it. In 2020, if an 18-year-old took a neighbor, 11-year-old child up to his bedroom alone to hang out for a while, is that a normal thing people do in 2020? Is that a thing? He was coming over to deliver the tree. Like, he, he worked at the tree. Sure. Thanks for the tree. He's coming to deliver the tree. And he's like, oh, let's, you know, I don't know. Maybe he used to babysit him. I don't know. Oh, well, maybe he used to babysit him. I okay. hang out with older kids sometimes. It's not like they're best friends. They never hang out again after that point. This scene made me uncomfortable, but maybe there's some backstory of the babysitting. I mean, I get it. I get it. I didn't think it was like, there was nothing else together. beyond that. Okay. It's not like he walked around with his shirt off for like right. Half there the were no scene, look, right? He's like, hey, <laughs> hey, Corey, have you ever exercised before? Did you see me? I've been I've been doing bicep curls up here in my attic. Like that shit didn't happen. Yeah, there's there's nothing like awkward about it. So okay. I, again, right. I take your point, but I I think it's yeah. It's not okay. 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 So since we're talking Christmas movies in a Christmas story, of course the homework is to write about what you want for Christmas. Yes. And so I would love to know what our homework is for the upcoming week. Okay. As you mentioned, it's, it's winter in a lot of parts of the world right now. It's cold. And you just want to get warm. You want to get snug. You want to be in a nice, safe, comfortable place, right? I mean, yes. It's taking me back to an activity that I think we all did as children. And so I want to talk about the joy of building forts. Oh, awesome. Okay. So I know this isn't specifically 80s, but I'm going to talk about my childhood. I grew up in the 80s, but I think we can all relate to it. Like this inclination to want to build a fort to have this little space of your own. So that's what we're going to talk about next time. So I guess just think about your own experience and look into it. There's nothing specifically you have to go watch or do. I wanted to give you light homework because I made you read three books last time. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> thank you for the trade-off. So I, I wanted to go a little bit easier. So that's what we want to do. We want to talk all about the fun and joy of building forts. Yes, that's good. I like it. I'm super stoked. This is going to be great. Okay, so your maybe your homework will be to, in that murder basement you're in, is to build <laughs> like a sweet fort down there. Oh, I love this. <laughs> 
Well, you've heard it. Go hit the forest, get your sticks, get your thicker logs, get a little twine, build your fort, because you're going to need somewhere really fun to listen to the next episode of 80s High. Can't wait. Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical. Stay radical.